What's up, everyone? We know the last thing you need is another fitness podcast to catch you up on the newest trends in fad diets based off of popular opinion with little to no research at all. Enter myself and Tony. We made the Fitness Stuff podcast to make exercise and nutrition science practical. Our goal is to expose misinformation in the industry by providing only evidence-based education. We're doing something new today. I'm very excited about it. We are going to be discussing and reviewing research that absolutely blew our minds. So this is going to be a new segment, and I know I'm excited. Tony? We're playing around with it. Yeah. How are you today? (laughs) I'm good. I think we're a little tired. We're a little tired, but that's not going to get us because we're talking about stuff that excites us. We're talking about these studies. I'm pumped for this idea, but we'll see how people like it. If they hate it, we probably will never do it again. But (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to go back and forth. We're going to be reviewing four different studies today, which across the board are pretty different. That's true. That's what I like about it. We're going to go four different. So that's going to be the setup now, which will probably change a hundred more times. But I think this is a cool theme of episode. We each pick up research that we truly have read, found ourselves that over time has just, we've had to reread and reread and be like, wait, 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 what? Like changes the Mm -hmm. way we thought about things previously. Yeah. Sometimes research does that, which I think is cool. And I think people like to hear about it. So I'm excited to see the response we get from the episode, which by the way, let us know either in the ratings, in the comments, or just DM us and be like, hey, did you like this? Did you not like it? Because we're not just speaking in domains of purely fitness or purely, we're talking about a lot of different things because we like reading research, we like going out. So we got four pretty cool ones today. And we want to go, I'll start with this. I'll start with this. This one's cool. Now, what I think caused me to re-read and get into it was watching the Netflix documentary, How to Change Your Mind, which was... Directed by Netflix, but I think people don't realize this. It was a book written by Michael Pollan years and years and years ago, which when I first read it, I think it was just out of high school, blew my mind. It was talking about the different applications of psychedelic drugs and different psychedelic drugs in terms of mental health and the new research coming on the forefront, which that's probably where I'm most excited about now, even though I just I understand so little of it. I think in the terms of just how complicated mental health is, and that's just not my circle of competence. It could, like, unless mm-hmm. I spent the last 10 years there, it wouldn't be. But I think it's super interesting because I know more and more it seems like today more people are struggling with mental health and I think are opening up about it. And we're starting to realize that this is a problem we need to pay attention to more. At least that's how yeah. I see it. So this is why this study absolutely got brought back to the forefront when I was thinking about these things again. And this is what the study looked at. It was done at Johns Hopkins University, and it was looking at smoking addiction. It was looking at addiction, but smoking cigarette addiction in particular. And I think that's just nowadays when we think of addictive supplements, cigarettes is usually towards the top of that list. If the word addiction comes up, usually a couple maybe harder like opioid drugs like heroin or crystal meth and then cigarette. It pops at the top Mm -hmm. of most people's lists, I think. And it was a small-scale study, which most psychedelic research is just because it's in the infant little baby stages right now. It's just being brought back over the past, I think, decade plus after a 30, 40 year break, which is unfortunate. But the study at John Hopkins, what they did, it was only over 15 participants. So we can't really say much, but still cool. I think of what we'll talk about application wise in the future, what that could mean. It was done with 15 participants. They were all mentally and physical or mentally and physically healthy which smokers, like how physically healthy could you be? But they didn't have any major health ailments. These participants smoked on average 19 cigarettes a day for at least the past 31 years. And reportedly they had tried and failed to stop smoking multiple times. 
that was these 15 participants in the study. Now, they took three separate doses of psilocybin, which is the active compound in like magic mushrooms that makes you hallucinate trip is what they call it. The first dose of psilocybin was administered by a pill the day the participant planned to quit smoking. Two subsequent sessions was with higher doses of that drug, and they were held two weeks and eight weeks after the first. So three total sessions, day one, two weeks later, eight weeks later. Now, the participants in this study, this is the mind-blowing part, and it's only 15, so it doesn't mean a whole lot yet, but we're pushing in this direction. The participants in the study achieved an 80% absence rating over six months of smoking cigarettes. And this was tested in urine and blood samples. So it wasn't just like, hey, you've been smoking? <laughs> you lying? No. <laughs> it, was, it was blood and urine samples that proved that they were not smoking over the course of six months. Six months. Now, when we compare this to what the most common drug people take, which is, I think I'm going to mess this up, but varenicline is what I think it's called. Varenicline. I had to look that up. Varenicline is, is the it? most common. What is it? It's the most common drug prescribed now for quitting cigarette addiction. Ah. So if you have a real problem and you really you want to try quitting, you've tried nicotine patches, you've tried everything, they give you varenicline. That's mm -hmm. the leading uh, prescribed drug to quit this addiction. That only shows in a uh, success rate of about 10 to 35%. 10 to 35% success rate compared to the 80% seen in this small-scale study. Now, I want to be the first to say after we talk about this because – we want to cover up and say what we think about these studies, too, in this episode. 15 people is not a lot of people. And there's more research that's been published since then. I think this was either 2000 or 2020 or 21 that this was published. But 15 people is not a lot of people. So a number like 80% does not mean as much in a study with 15 people as it would over thousands and thousands over decades with a drug like... I'm not even going to try it. Like the, <laughs> like the other one. So it doesn't mean as much. But it's just massively exciting from my perspective when you see such a drastic increase or like success rate even on a small small trial such a massive success rate in something that is just known as one of the hardest things to quit doing yeah that most people in that study 80 percent of people in that study did not smoke again for six months that was the follow-up and of course i'm guessing they're still clean now or most of them would be but six months is more than enough for a relapse time I thought that was just massively impressive because addiction is such a terrible and confusing disease for so many people. Mm -hmm. I thought it was freaking cool. It actually just woke me back up talking about it. I wonder if that would work with who would you even want to, why couldn't I think vapes? I wonder if it would be. That would be interesting. It would, but <laughs> that'd be kind of bad. Psilocybin therapy because you can't stop sucking on a stick. But who knows? Maybe. It was nicotine addiction, but we know nicotine's largely misunderstood as well, or at least the stuff I've been looking into recently. But oh, that's going to be a study that I cover on my next one. But that's the first study I wanted to cover because I thought it was crazy. Like that large of a success rate, I don't care if you're talking about 10 people, 20, 100 people, that large of a success rate to me, it's usually it's not telling. accidental. It's, te it's exactly, mm -hmm. it's telling. Yeah. It's the, yeah. like we talked about in the last episode, it's like when you're going and you have a metal detector on the beach and it starts digging, it's like something's there, right? Yeah. Start digging because that is large enough to be like, okay, it's worth digging. Yeah. And this research is so freaking new. It's, an, it's in its infant stages. So that's why I wanted to bring it up because that was one study that absolutely blew my mind. Now, mm -hmm. since neither of us are experts when it comes to addiction, 
I don't think we give our personal thoughts on. Let's get let's give our prescriptions for what we think we should we should prescribe. Do mushrooms three times. No, I'm kidding. This is a joke. It's sarcasm. Smoke. <laughs> don't smoke cigarettes. Don't smoke cigarettes. Throw away oh, your vape. This is a total side note, but it was a quote I was hearing. I was listening to the book. What was the book called? Nassim Taleb's Skin in the Game. And it's just the fact that like risk, a lot of risk is dynamic. There's a lot of mm-hmm. multi-levels. Because if you look at risk for smoking one single cigarette, like what actual risk comes with smoking one single cigarette? Virtually none. Virtually no risk from one, right? Like all the negative impacts. You can't measure what's the outcome of if they smoked a single cigarette. But that's when you look at it from like a singular level or a non-dynamic standpoint. But when you look at it mm-hmm. from a dynamic standpoint, right? You ask someone like instead of a researcher, but like your grandma or my grandma who smoked a pack a day for freaking since she was 20 and she's turning 90. So it just absolutely blows my mind. But you ask her and she'll say, I've never seen someone enjoy a cigarette and not smoke a second cigarette. And that's where it's like, oh, well, risk becomes dynamic because what's the risk of smoking that one cigarette that one time and never doing it again? Very little. But what are the second and third level consequences of you'll probably smoke a second, which will lead to a third, which will lead to this, which will lead to becoming addicted, which will lead to needing to take magic mushrooms to beat an addiction in a hallway at Yale or at uh, Johns Hopkins University. You never know. So that was just an interesting thought. Uh, So that was study number one. Let's talk about yours. Let's talk about yours next. So this is pretty new research. It was released in March. I actually spoke about it a while ago on TikTok, but it's in the field of binge eating disorder. This is an area of research that I am so just eating disorder research in general, very passionate about and was actually pretty excited about these findings because for some reason, especially binge eating disorder in our society, it's not treated enough like the mental illness that it is. And so when you yeah. this research that's coming out really looks at development and your brain and a lot of which lacks people lack control over. So this was at Keck School of Medicine, USC. And again, it was released in March, 2022. So super recent. Super, super fresh. And researchers looked at the brain scans of children. So this was in adolescence, ages nine to 10 with binge eating disorder. They analyzed their brain scans. It was 71 children with binge eating disorders, so pretty significant amount of people, especially when you think about such a young age, like it's pretty hard to recruit. And then they compared them to 74 children without binge eating disorder. What they found was those with binge eating disorder had significant differences in the gray matter density. So gray matter is in your brain, in the gray matter of your brain compared to their peers without binge eating disorder. So one, just like mind blowing that there were changes in the brain and what they really saw were elevations in the gray matter. So typically in the brain, like you have pruning and as Mm -hmm. you grow up, as you develop, you develop this pruning and they had elevations. So they didn't have the pruning in the specific area of the brain and that a part of normal healthy development is to develop those. So disturbed pruning is actually linked to a variety of psychiatric disorders. So that's, this is pretty fascinating. And these children with the binge eating disorder had very, very heightened reward sensitivity. So like they find food very, very rewarding, especially towards calorically dense foods, high sugar foods. 
why I found this so impactful is because you hear all the time a lot of like parents saying, oh, well, you just need to discipline your kid more. Tell them to stop eating so much mm -hmm. sugar or this finding this right here. There's no control over that. This is this happens in development and happens at a very young age and can lead to maybe they don't have binge eating disorder now, but can yeah. lead to binge eating disorder in the future. They just compared, they looked at brain scans. It yeah. wasn't like the type of randomized controlled trial, but this is again, very new and very novel research. That's crazy. Research. You can see physical yeah. differences by comparing just pictures of the brain. Physi and that's just, it's crazy that you can see physical differences in brain composition. Mm -hmm. To yeah. me, that's what blows my mind. And that leads to so many more questions because I think we've talked about this quite a few times because you've been passionate about this for a long time. I didn't realize how prominent eating disorders were in this line of work until the last few years. When I started looking into it more and more, how prevalent it is and how it really should start, it should start being treated as addiction, as mental mm -hmm. illnesses do as the different things are treated as a mental illness it should be treated like one of those not just a let's just change a couple techniques or let's just discipline more maybe you're just not motivated enough or mm -hmm. maybe it's just not this because that's honestly probably if you asked me like six seven years ago when it came to eating disorders how little i understood i would think it seems like a lack of control it just seems like a lack of, of control yeah yeah i mean personally this hit home for me because there is with binge eating disorder, and there's a huge difference between binge eating disorder and having occasional episodes of overeating or going through a period of under eating for a competition and then you overeat a lot of food. That's a very normal response. Binge eating disorder, there's like no control involved. Really, that whole aspect of being able to control your impulses is when it comes to food simply taken away and happens yeah. in a split second. And what the study suggests is that binge eating disorder may be wired in the brain from a very, very young age. So this is going to evolve. There's going to, yeah, this is new. And these findings are <laughs> very ripe. I'm it's in the ripe stages, months, but I'm months ago. Yeah. Like literally yeah. months ago, these were, yeah. Well, and that's, so. yeah, I think, cause I think a lot of people misuse the word binge. I do. Yeah. I think a lot of people use it. Cause I think I, like I've even thought in my head again, years ago, if I just eat a lot of food one night, cause I'm like, oh, I'm just lazy. I want this. I'm like, oh, I was binge. There's a big difference. And maybe there needs to be different words for me yeah. just overeating because I'm feeling lazy, feeling low, whatever. And then the actual like loss, like we talked about with Shane Hanner in our breathwork episode in techniques with breathing on how to gain back a little bit of that control. But it's like, it gets to the point where, yeah, you could black out. You don't you remember. You lose consciousness. You're not driving the vehicle of your brain making these decisions. This is something... <clears throat> to add that personal aspect of it. I used to never talk about this, but now that I've, I don't struggle with it anymore, but like mm -hmm. that feeling you of literally not, you're not operating your body. It's not even you. It's not and Mariana who's making those choices. I used to be so scared because I was younger. I was in high school and because I didn't have any of like my, my, my body didn't change. It didn't show Again, there's no, like eating disorders don't have a look. Some people's bodies don't change. And like when I would try to explain it to like my mom, when I would work up the courage to explain it to like yeah. my mom, best friends, or even my therapist at the time or doctor, because of the way I looked, it's almost it was more so like, off, right? oh, you're just overeating. You're like, 
you, you have a fast but, metabolism. You're fine. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm scared. That shouldn't happen. You know what and I mean? I imagine and, as a kid how confusing that would feel. Because as a kid, you're probably not even oh confident. You, you, there's zero chance you understand what's going on. You're trying yeah. your best as a child to put words to commu- communicate this confusing thing going on anyways. So that's yeah. hard enough as it is. And then when it's told to other people, it's like, oh, well, that's not, you know, it's whatever. The kid's and I not think, disciplined. Like, it's yeah. just, you know, yeah. That's what blew my mind in the misunderstanding piece, which I think it's becoming more common to talk about today, which I love. Because mm-hmm. it's, I think the more you can talk about it, the better you can probably diagnose and then solve and then do all these things, which is interesting. And this study, I think, is so freaking cool, especially with how ripe it is. Because that leads to so many more questions of like, okay, was it... Is it more nature versus nurture? Is Was it certain parenting techniques that could have led to the gray matter? Was yeah. it things that happened during pregnancy, during adolescence that led to these things? Is there a way maybe in the future to get tested where it's like, okay, are you more predisposed to having disordered eating tendencies versus not? I'm not saying you'll get binge eating disorder, you'll get yeah. this or avoid this, but are you someone who's more susceptible to this due to your physiology? Like that's so freaking cool. Yeah, that you can- again... It's like behave like with these kids, a common practice almost is like, okay, let's take these foods away. And with binge yeah. eating disorder, like that is the number one worst thing because then that reward pathway is heightened even more and more and more when mm. it's not recognizable for so long. But then you eat it, you go to your friend's house, you are out of the house and you have access to this food. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's oh making the problem, which it's crazy because it's almost like you can't. Just to empathize with the people, like the parents who are taking the food There's away. There's nothing, it's like, yeah. Like, they don't understand you know? it. No one understand, <laughs> it's, it. That's why I'm pumped about it is because more people are able to understand it now. Because yeah. before, it's like, yeah, it's like the parent in their mind was doing the best thing they could have done. They were trying to solve mm-hmm. the issue. Little did they know they were making it a lot worse, but they were trying to solve it when, again, that's the crazy thing to me is because it's just it blows my mind in looking at children versus adults because even adults have a hard time communicating. And that's it, It's hard enough to say Ariana's not here anymore. Yeah. Or if I was acting, it's like that. Like, yes, I did that, but Tony that didn't do that. Yeah, that's hard enough of a concept to grasp until you. And it's actually embarrassing. Feel like it. when you become an adult, when you can start to recognize. Like, I mean, as a kid, I, I would say it's more confusing than like the shame piece because you may not mm. even de- have developed binge eating disorder yet. It could be a sign that you have may later in life. But yeah. as an adult, it is so shameful. There is so much shame so much guilt because it's a gluttonous like it could be an hour it could be two hours and it's actually repulsive that's the difference between overeating like three jars of peanut butter like six boxes of it's not overeating it's repulsive for lack of a better term yeah which i'm glad you brought that study up because i would not have known about it until you did today yeah Yeah, that just makes me more excited for them to start look because again they're gonna start maybe treating it like it should be treated instead of oh let's probably just do this or do you know treat it like it's something Mm -hmm. it's not yeah. Which is absolutely crazy. Okay. Dang, that one hyped me up. I'm not going to lie. I didn't <laughs> expect it to, but that, I even knew it coming It's, it's in. really fascinating, yeah. That's so freaking cool. Ah, okay. Dang, I don't even want to talk about the next one. Okay. <laughs> I think this is going to be a cool segment, and I don't care if people hate it. We're going to keep doing it because it makes me excited. We're going to have to link, make sure we link the... Unfortunately, yes. I don't think all of these are going to be public open access. We'll do our best. Yeah. This leads us to our next one. And oh, we're talking about the mind. Oh, the, wait, sorry. This just now I'm connecting. See, this is what I love because we're doing different research, connecting Mm -hmm. different dots. I'm like, they could even start looking at, okay, if psychedelics had such a profound impact on things like addiction, 
those powerful strongholds, I'm like, I wonder what other application it could have in any other areas of mental health, not even just depression or addiction, which is mostly what's being studied for now, but <sighs> I'm excited. I okay. So this one, there's a study, we'll call it Mind Over Milkshakes. This one I heard about, it, I think last year. I just love it because I think it, it shows how little we really know about the mind, which I don't know why that excites me, but it does. But this was done at the Department of Psychology, the Department of Psychology at Yale University. And it was done with 46 participants, mind over milkshakes. They were separated into two separate groups. We'll call them group A and group B. Now, each group, all 46 participants were given the same exact milkshake. They were given a milkshake, okay? Just a tasty little ice cream milkshake, right? Moderate calories, a little sugary, a little treat, right? Now, the difference between the two groups, because they all got the same exact milkshake, is what they told the participants in each group what they were going to be getting. So not what they actually got, but they told the groups two separate things. They told group A that they'd be getting a high-calorie, indulgent, high-sugar milkshake that consisted of 620 calories. So they said, group A, you're going to get an indulgent, high-calorie, high-sugar milkshake. This is a treat. And they even changed the marketing label to be more seductive in like that like just unhealthy treat manner. Group B, the other group, was given and marketed, not given, but marketed a healthy, low-calorie meal replacement shake. And they told it only had 160 calories in it. So they told these two groups they were getting two separate milkshakes. One was low-calorie and healthy. One was high-calorie and unhealthy. But they all got the same milkshake. Now, what they did was they asked each group, this one's going to be obvious, but they asked each group to rate how healthy they thought the shake they were about to consume was going to be. Obviously, the group who was told it was a healthier shake scored much higher. They rated the milkshake about a 7 out of 10 compared to a 1 out of 10 on a how healthy is this scale. Going into it. Now, what they did was they observed blood tests and they took three blood tests separately. Three separate blood tests over the course of about 90 minutes. One leading up to the milkshake, one right before the milkshake, and one after they consumed the full milkshake. Now, what they were testing for in the blood was a hormone called ghrelin. And we've talked about that before on the show, right? Yeah. Ghrelin, right? The hunger hormone. This is the hormone where it goes up, signals hunger, right? I need, I need food. Here's what blew my mind. They all had the same exact milkshake. Now, the group that thought they were getting the high-calorie, high-sugar shake saw a massive spike in ghrelin leading up to the milkshake and then a massive below starting point drop after they consumed the milkshake. So their ghrelin started right around the same levels as the other group, but they saw a massive rise and then a massive fall. Where the healthy group or the marketed group where it was a little healthier saw virtually no changes in ghrelin. Stayed about the same from before to right up to the moment to after. Their ghrelin pretty much didn't move. Meaning, right, in this small sample size, meaning what they thought they were consuming actually changed their physiological response to it. So what they thought they were consuming changed how their body actually reacted to it. I have read this study before. Yeah. It's all coming back to me. Yes, this is so cool. <laughs> that blew my mind. It's insane. Yeah, they were testing for ghrelin, but they had a different physiological response. So here's what blows my mind because it opens up Pandora's freaking box. In this moment, mm -hmm. it opens up Pandora's box because 
if how you think you're, it, it blows my mind because it's almost like red pill, blue pill, right? The curse of understanding. Sometimes you see, oh, what are processed food, like ultra high processed foods doing? What is overconsumption? Yeah. Maybe ignorance is bliss. And if you don't know how bad something could be for your health if overconsumed, maybe it won't have as negative an effect. Now, obviously, this is well, not going to be taken to an extreme, right? If you eat to- just McDonald's and tell yourself it's healthy, it's not no. going to be <laughs> good, good news. It's like I've said this before and I will continue to say it, but like with my clients, a goal is to always have indifference towards food. It's there and there's certain foods that can help push me towards my goals and some that may not be as good for doing that, but be good for other things. Like, yeah, not give it that much attention because when, I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, especially what we talk about all the time on the show is how fear, I hate the term fear mongering because I think it gets overused. And I think people are like scoff <laughs> it's at it. It's kind of an ugly, the, it, that it, word gives me the ick. I think. It gives me the ick. Yeah. It's fear mongering, <laughs> but it's like all the videos that you see surrounding health. And I think this is shifting in direction, but for the last like 10 years, it's people saying never eat these five foods, avoid these foods, avoid this oil, avoid this, this, avoid whatever, because it's going to give you cancer. It's going to give you this disease and that disease. And it's going to kill you early. And it's like all these people causing fear in certain foods are only going to make any problem worse because now Mm -hmm. people are ultra afraid. If I eat McDonald's, I'm going to be guilty. That's not even like considering the mental impact and mental toll it has to you with your relationship to food, right? But but that blew my mind. Not just your relationship to food, but your physiological response. How your body changes in processing and metabolizing that food can be different with how you view it. I would love to see the heart rate of whoever, carnivore MD, whenever he's talking about something like killing you, giving you cancer. His cortisol's probably through the roof because yeah, he's, he's holding like, like a cancer bomb. Like he's, yeah. he's like, that's actually a pretty funny. <laughs> I have cancer in the palm of my hands. But seriously, probably, I wonder if he has a different response. He probably like, so that even goes to show, because we, I think we talk about it a lot of in context of your relationship to food, which matters a lot in your progress because progress takes a long time. So if you're afraid Mm -hmm. every time you eat out or every time you have one drink or every time you do something that you don't consider healthy, which really in like the hindsight, if you're doing it a minuscule amount of times or a small amount of times is not going to impact your overall progress. If you keep thinking it, you're going to beat yourself. It's more likely to throw you off your path. So we take, I think we talk a lot about it in the relationship to food in overall progress, but I think this is a study that just changed it. Because up until that point, I did not know just the mindset framing, even though it makes sense of how much we're starting to understand mindset, a physiological difference in the response. Like that that just blows my freaking, like you, you hear about those things of how powerful mindset and mindfulness and meditation, and which I'm loving, is getting a lot more attention, right? I think, is it Yale or Harvard, one of those two schools is leading in meditation and mindfulness research now. And it's becoming like rituals of top business performers, top athletes. Mm-hmm. There's your mindset and mindfulness is not a woo-woo joke anymore. Like we're starting to realize like how you think, shocking, determines how you respond and interact with life. Like it's so freaking cool. So that study yeah. I wanted to bring up because I know it's also on other popular podcasts been misquoted a few times. They did just look at ghrelin. They didn't look at insulin response. They didn't look at leptin response. So it's one small thing. It's not something that we want to blow out of the water and be like, oh, yeah. I can now go eat whatever I want. But no. I'm going to tell myself it's as healthy as like a fresh salmon filet no. that was just <laughs> caught with 
a side of it. It's not that powerful, but it's just crazy that there's something there at all. Crazy there's something there at all. <sighs> I, my heart rate's going up. I like this. <laughs> okay. All right. So there. that's at least, that's what I, those are my two. So we're talking about magic mushrooms and we're talking about milkshakes. Now let's freaking bring her la, home. La, la, la. We got okay. loaded bases. Bring us home. Yep. Grand slam at Mariana. The last study. Tony and I, if you're listening to this now, we have an episode on fish oil, all about fish oil, omega-3s, and we dive really deep into there, but there are just, there are two studies that I want to pull out and highlight, and if you want even more information on fish oil in general. And, I, and application, like more context yeah. on these two. Yeah. But so. this is one that just, when I read it, a few years ago, I forget, but it still blows my mind to this date. And like even talking with Tony about it, and you saw my like response it's... when you read it to me because I didn't hear it before. I know on one of them, I was like actually like my mouth probably opened up, but both yeah. of them were like just it freaking powerful. This is in the New England Journal of Medicine. We're looking at omega 3 supplementation with fish oil and its effect on cardiovascular disease outcome in those with risk factors for cardiovascular disease. This is called the strength trial. And sorry, strength trial is the second trial. This one is called the reduce IT trial. It's a long name, so abbreviated. 8,000 patients with elevated cardiovascular disease risk and high blood triglyceride levels. 8,000 people, that's a very large number. Then my two studies. <laughs> yeah. 15 and 46. That's a little bit bigger. Half of them received two grams of a pure EPA. So EPA is an omega-3 fatty acid, which is found in fish oil, but pure EPA twice a day. The other half received placebo. And they found that those taking this pure EPA supplement had reduced blood triglyceride levels and reduced number of heart attacks, strokes, the need for heart stunting procedures to open up clogged arteries, and death. That's that's insane. Like that absolutely is mind-boggling to me. There are limitations of this study like any study and we talk about this in the other episode. But it, and you 8, can draw people. and you can notice those correlations. That's big, yeah. especially because heart disease, stroke are some of the lead heart disease is the number one cause of death in America. I think stroke is like number four or five on the list. Mm-hmm. Right. These are the leading yeah. causes of death in America. Mm-hmm. And it's looking like EPA, at least in this particular study, had an effect. The second one blew my mind mm-hmm. even more. So this study began to get controversial and called into question because other smaller scale studies looking at fish oil supplements that were a mixture. So there's two main types of omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA. So other smaller scale studies were looking at a combination of the two supplements and showing not having similar effects. This wasn't being replicated and it was replicated in many other studies that also looked at high Mm. concentration EPA supplements. But the mixture of the two, not the same thing. Now we'll get into the strength trial. Which... I think this is the one that just opened my mouth. I was like, what the? F- yeah. <laughs> 13,000 patients received the fish oil supplement that was a combination of EPA and DHA to see if it would reduce cardiovascular disease risk. And then the other group received the placebo. This trial was terminated early 
due to an interim analysis revealing no differences between the two groups. None. So they You said 13,000 people too. Mm-hmm. So and this doesn't mean this was ongoing. Like you have with longer term studies, you have these analyses at different points. Mm-hmm. And it was a, you know what? This isn't going anywhere. We can tell it's not going to go anywhere. We can't keep having these patients, recruiting them in a study if it's not doing anything. If we know it's wasting not resources, doing anything, money. Yeah. So that's insane. One, two, this this spiraled okay so there were many more studies that have showed at a certain level of epa and dha combined like it's not as significant in those with cardiovascular disease risk factors Mm -hmm. so if you are in the general healthy population like a combination of both taking a fish oil supplement that's good that works that can help reduce your risk for developing high blood pressure high triglycerides so can help there along with always dietary intervention but for those with these markers like high blood pressure high triglycerides like it is a review of over 13 randomized controlled trials involving 127,000 participants showed out of all of these studies that a minimum of 60 percent mm-hmm. epa in these supplements is needed in order to be effective for yeah, that second one, it blew my mind because I've always known, and I know I think more than the average individual, I look at the EPA and DHA content in whatever fish oil I'm consuming. If it comes especially mm-hmm. in a supplement, you look at the EPA and DHA content instead of just the total fat content. And then you look at your diet, where you're getting these resources from. And in my mind, before I had heard this in this last episode, was that fish oil was just, it was just fish oil as a whole was good. The EPA and DHA were equally, there was no real... I didn't know there was a difference. So yeah. to see those two very stark differences in research just shows, I know in the last episode we talked a lot deeper about it, but it's like there's so much more we can start to more fine tune in yeah. research towards fish oil, especially like that strength. That's what I love about studies that fail is it's like it tells yeah. you exactly. It's like, never really failing. It's informative. It's yeah. more telling than a study that saw very little effect or very, you know what I'm saying? Like those studies tell you a lot. So it's cool, especially one that had 13,000 people. Yeah. And so now it's like, there are some studies in the work that, cause we have, that says, okay, we have to compare. There's no studies comparing pure EPA to pure DHA. Mm -hmm. I think there's some ongoing right now, but even then that's still new. So in terms of having definitive conclusions yet, there's a lot of unknown there, but we do know that, okay. A lot of questions. A higher EPA content or even closer to pure for those with these risk factors here is definitely worth, like if you are in the medical field practitioner, like definitely worth considering looking into because they do have significant effects. But yeah, as always, talk with your doctor. Definitely not that. Just here to communicate some cool yeah. stuff out there. Those two just opened my eyes because I just had no freaking clue. I'm not going to lie. I think this is going to be my favorite kind of episode we ever do ever, ever, forever. I'm excited. Cause there's so many possibilities. I know I talked about ones that just like That's, I'm were pumped, more relevant I'm pumped to what I've learned so, about. But. We're going to do it regardless of if we get terrible feedback. If people say, I've unfollowed and quit listening to you because of this. 
We're still going to do it because I loved it. I don't know if I will. I will go solo <laughs> episodes of fitness stuff. It'll, it'll say Tony only. And, and then you join back in. But I freaking loved it. So, let us know. Reach out to us. Shoot us a DM, something like that. If you enjoyed this kind of episode, if you want it to be a repeat episode, if we do it once a month or whenever, if you want it to be a repeat, if you thought it was cool, fascinating, interesting to learn more about, especially that we dive into deeper studies. As a recap, we figured out, okay, psychedelics might have some promising research in the future revolving around mental health. There's a lot of stuff that we can now start digging for. We learned a lot more about eating disorders, especially in binge eating, right? Or at least where we mm -hmm. could start heading in that direction. We learned the insane fact that your body can have a different physiological response based on how you view or perceive something that you're eating about your health. I'm like, I wonder how many other metrics that can be attached to your exercise, your sleep, your mindset, how much more can you control? And then fish oil is a lot more than just fish oil. The EPA, the DHA, the different numbers, they matter. Yeah. And they have yeah. a lot to do with our overall health. So let us know if you like those episodes as much as we did, because I was a little tired before we started filming, but now I'm quite awake. So thank you. You know where to find us, right? Hit that bell on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel if you like viewing us or on Spotify. Uh, you can always give us a five-star review on Spotify, on Apple, which is probably the one thing that just tickles us pink, that gets us the most excited. Right? <laughs> Does what? It tickles, I've never heard that before. Tickles us pink. I've, I've only heard it used. I hope I'm not using it inappropriately. It's, I thought it was like tickle, like pink. tickle, tickle, and you get like pink cheeks. That's what I imagined in my head. Tickles I mean, us I pink. I have rosacea, so I'm always pink. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Tickles us pink if you... Give us five-star reviews. That that helps us reach more people. And again, this is always going to be a free show. It's a free show. It helps us reach more people, which is our ultimate goal. So thank you for everyone who does that. You know where to find us on social media. It's fs.pod on Instagram, on TikTok. But I think that's it for the day. Mariana, say it to him again. How do you feel towards our audience? You guys are the best. You have like a Tony and particular I emotion. <laughs> love you so, so greatly. So long as you leave a rating. I love you regardless. My love <laughs> is unconditional. Mariana's love yeah. seems to be a little conditional, but mine is unconditional. I love you no matter what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, let's wrap it up. We'll see y'all next time. Time for a nap.